The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Mitch Ditkoff. Mitch is the co-founder and president of Idea Champions, and that means that he runs an innovation consulting and training company. He's the author of several books, my favorite, Awake at the Wheel, along with some others. And interesting tidbit, voted the best innovation blogger in the world for two years running. Regular contributor to Huffington Post and a forthcoming book that I think will be fabulous called Storytelling at Work, How Moments of Truth on the Job Reveal the Real Business Life, due out in just a couple of weeks. So needless to say, the focus of our show today is to talk about creativity and innovation, at least among all my clients coming out. Out of the financial crisis, the focus has been on growth and innovation, growth and innovation. So, Mitch, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. Happy to be here. All right. So, let me start with a distinction. A lot of people talk about innovation and creativity as if they're the same thing. Do you think of them as the same thing or not? I don't. No, I don't. Uh, And actually, I think the most powerful quote that makes that distinction is by the economist Theodore Levitt, who once said that creativity is thinking up new things, innovation is doing new things. So while creativity is certainly needed on the front end of innovation to generate the new and the different, the the breakthrough, the disruptive, or something worthy of innovating about, the act of translating those creative possibilities into action is really what innovation is all about, and that's why companies are challenged because they've got to turn theory into action. So is it possible for anybody to be creative? Yes, indeed. I'm a fundamentalist in this regard, so uh, you're getting a biased uh, input here. But I do believe from my experience and all the research I've done on the subject that everybody, and that means everybody, whether they're a tax auditor or a an accountant or an insurance agent, whatever the fields that don't get a lot of points for creativity, everybody has that capacity. Everybody is innately creative. In fact, the psychologists that have studied this phenomenon have identified the human being as most creative at the age of five. And after that, it's a slow and steady decline uh, because of all the various ways in which we have been socialized, conditioned, and programmed. So, the creativity is there, but it gets suppressed and buried. So that means at this point I'm a hopeless cause no. on developing greater creativity because I'm well past five. This radio show, 
I think you're you've, you're definitely in the right in the right vein. <laughs> All right. So you know, when I talk to people about creativity, there's this sense that creativity comes from some mysterious place that we go off and have some. Um, aha moment or some insightful dream and suddenly that is the spark for creativity. It, what's your view on how we cr- become creative or where creativity comes from? Uh, that's a great question. And there's, so if we had five hours, we wouldn't exhaust it. Uh, I will cut to the chase as best as I can. The origins of creativity, the roots of it, um, in some people's mind is mystical. In my mind, it's not mystical. And it usually is a function of a felt need. Uh, the identification of a challenge, a problem, or an opportunity that a person really has passion for and has articulated in uh, the form of uh, a question that one can get one's arms around. The, the first, there's got to be a need. If there's no need, if there's no pain, if there's no, let's call it even frustration, then creativity is just sort of lurking in the theoretical ethers of life. But once a person or a company has identified something that is meaningful to approach in a new way, then the juices start to get flowing. Now, where ideas come from in response to that articulated challenge uh, in my experience, comes from two places. One, I would call the subconscious mind. And that is why of the 10,000 people I've asked where and when they get their best ideas, 98% of them, no matter what industry, no matter what their role, their education, or whatever, they tell me away from the workplace. They will say things like, Uh, early in the morning, late at night, showering, commuting, exercising, and so forth, when they are at rest, when they're relaxed, when there's no pressure, when their subconscious mind, if you will, is processing all of the challenges subsurface. That is one origin, you might say, of creative ideas, where the innate genius or the innate problem solver is working overtime once it's got its arms around a challenge. That's why many great breakthroughs have happened in these seemingly offline moments. The second place where ideas come from is from the conscious mind, and that is why people convene brainstorming sessions or problem-solving meetings or idea generation campaigns that, that companies launch to rally people around a particular issue. So both of those places are fertile ground. In my experience, 98% of it comes offline, not from the purposefully done uh, catalysts. Although that's my business, is to increase the odds of the purposeful catalyst having some traction and some meaning. All right, so I'm going to come to a moment about how we can create an environment that makes it more likely for the uh, online workplace creativity to happen. Let me go back to this notion of the subconscious. So when the average person reports that they dream an idea or they get an idea in the shower, that's not unusual. Most of us do that. Well, a lot of us report that. Very few people honor that and take it seriously. <clears throat> Just like we have dreams that may be very meaningful and then we forget them 
<clears throat> or choose not to let anybody know about what we dreamed, most people, when they're having ideas in these so-called offline spontaneous moments like commuting, dreaming, and so forth, rarely communicate it. They, really, they rarely value it. And more often than not, they don't even remember it. So we're losing, like, solar energy. We're, we're losing this natural resource that's available to us. And most organizations uh, as a whole don't really honor that phenomenon either, so they don't make it easy for people to actually bring that good stuff to bear in the workplace. But in terms of what one can do, a leader, a business leader, a manager, in the workplace, there are many things a person can do, and that is why uh, many companies have framed this challenge as how can we establish or foster a culture or a climate of innovation, whereas or whereby the natural expression of people's creativity will be flourishing in that environment as opposed to suppressed. So what can you do? Well, many things. Like It's almost like asking, how do you have a good marriage? Or how do you have a successful company? There's not one answer. There are many answers. But the root answers get back to removing or diminishing fear in the workplace, making it safe for people to come forward with the new and the different, and not be critiqued, slammed, marginalized, or ridiculed because they are thinking something new, which typically happens. So you have people who could be generating brilliant ideas or really wrestling with an an interesting approach to things, but when they come out of the closet or out of the box, they are met with derision. And after a while, they get conditioned. It's not safe to do that. So they either go underground, they... They shut up, they don't speak, or they eventually feel like the workplace environment is toxic to their innate creativity, and they leave. They start their own company. That's one thing. There are many other things a company can do, mainly requiring senior leadership to actually not just believe in this, but to walk the talk by their actions to indicate to people that they care about the creativity of the workforce. It is not a flavor of the month. It is not a way to manipulate people to work faster or harder. But the company is genuinely committed to finding new and better ways of doing business. And those ideas are embedded in the fertile minds of a workforce that, for the most part, has been ignored. Getting back to the very old paradigm, uh, called hired hands, where you know decades ago people weren't asked to be thinking on their own. That you were hired hands, you weren't hired minds. Just turn the widget, just do that task. Don't bring me your ideas because you're actually disturbing things, and we don't want to disturb anything around here, do we? We just want to crank out product. But that's not uh, that's not a viable approach these days when as you noted earlier in this talk, uh, things are changing. And companies, unless they adapt and shift and find new and better ways, uh, they're not going to stay in the game for very much longer. It's interesting, this notion about removing fear and making it safe for people to come forward with new ideas. I have three comments to that. Let me see if I can make them succinct. 
One is, back to this topic that's near and dear to my heart, creating an inclusive culture where I can bring my unique perspective to the workplace is certainly going to make it a more conducive environment for creativity. And the research would say that as well. The second one, though, is a story from one of my technology companies, several years old now, but a young man came up to me after a program and said, you know, coming out of uh, graduate school, I had this brilliant new idea of an area that we should get into as a company. And my boss backed me. My boss said it was great. It was fabulous. It was wonderful. Thanks, um, um, Jose. And um, we're going to give you an opportunity to present in front of some senior management and see if you can persuade them. And so Jose did his best uh, effort to put this forward to the senior management and was soundly rejected by senior management. Yeah. We could speculate all sorts of reasons why that might have been the case, but the senior management said, nope, we're not ready to do this. As they were walking out of the room, Jose's boss said to him, I'm disappointed in you. That was it. Oh, my God. Jose promptly left as fast as he could that particular area. He happened to be in the research area, so he left that, went on to do something else. Still with the company a decade later, that's great. Three years rolling on, guess what that company was scrambling to figure out how to do behind the competitive eight ball because they had lost time relative to their competitors. Talk about walking the talk. Mm. So fear and action. Absolutely. Well, you know, if you deconstruct that phenomenon, and I'm very familiar with your anecdote, um, there's so many things that play into it. Uh, some senior leaders think their job actually is to be the guardians of the gate, to, to uh, evaluate and analyze on the fly and save the company and themselves a lot of time and money by uh, eliminating uh, spam ideas, so to speak. Uh, the fact of the matter is what most great ideas usually materialize in the form of imperfect and also um, not ready for prime time and easily ridiculed. I mean, you can look at the history of great product and service breakthroughs and almost every uh, innovator or aspiring innovator met with this kind of uh, guardians at the gate mentality. So senior leaders on some level, though they may say they want innovation and they say they want new ideas and all this good stuff and and, and change, uh, it, it, it's not always true. What, what's more true is um, this is going to require time and attention. This is going to require more meetings of me. This is going to require funding. It's risky, and like anybody in office whose term is only four years, and it may take ten years for that idea to really manifest the, the success that would be measurable, uh, not on my watch because I'm not going to get credit for it. So there's a lot of sort of ritualized behaviors that are embedded in organizations and often in the senior leadership of organization that find an extraordinary amount of ways, both passive and aggressive, to eliminate possibility rather than foment or foster possibility. Okay, fabulous. Interesting discussion, Mitch. We're going to take a break. But I love this notion that to create an environment where half-baked ideas, which are the ones that you want, come to the surface, we need to create an environment where fear is not part of it, where we're not going to eliminate a good idea too early, but we're going to give it enough airtime to see if it's going to be viable. 
When we come back from the break, I want to continue this conversation and talk about on the constructive side, not just what we can't do, but what can we do that fosters more innovation and creativity in our workplaces. With me today is Mitch Ditkoff from Idea Champions and author of Awake at the Wheel, as well as Storytelling at Work. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. If you're interested in gaining strategies to be more successful both at work and your personal life, check out Turn the Page with host Hemda Mizrahi. It's all about building new habits and perspectives. The show helps you identify the changes you need to make that align with your values and priorities. And then apply these principles to your career, health, social life, and other areas. These are proven techniques that work. Turn the Page airs live Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Mitch Ditkoff. Mitch is the co-founder or president co-founder of Idea Champions, an innovation consulting and training company, the author of a fabulous book, Awake at the Wheel, Getting Your Ideas Rolling in an Uphill World, and a forthcoming book, Storytelling at Work, How Moments of Truth on the Job Reveal the Real Business of Life. Not only is just Mitch a great thinker about creativity and innovation in the corporate environment, he's a fabulous colleague and a lot of great fun to work with. So Mitch... Let's pick up. In the last segment, we were talking about the fact that um, ideas, creative, the creativity, the idea, thinking new things, often comes in the moments when we're away from work, showering, oh. sleeping, driving, doing something other than concentrating on work. That it's possible to convene sessions and to do things in the workplace that stimulate um, conscious creativity, but that often some of our behaviors actually prohibit creative thinking. So when we have a culture of fear or when it feels like it's unsafe to bring forward a new out-of-the-box thinking or when a leader shuts down an idea too soon uh, or is a guardian of the gate, we're going to limit future creative thinking. So are there other things we need to avoid doing as managers? And then I want to turn to the so what can we do constructively? Yes, I'll I'll briefly address the what, what can be avoided. 
Um, one thing that can be avoided is managers not really taking into consideration the fact that when people come forward with new and untested ideas that merit development, they need to be given the time and resources to be able to focus on that and, and uh, massage it into life. Because often what happens, and this is the kind of the dark side or the shadow side of innovation, let's say someone manages to get on the radar screen and their idea gets some positive regard and they get some head nods and go for it, they're really given the time to, do, to, to focus on it in any meaningful way. They're expected to shoehorn that effort into their already maxed out work life. So while there are a few superstars and, and intrinsically motivated, heroic type people who can do that, for most of us, we can't. And it becomes highly stressful. So people start to go, great, if I come forward and start to say yes to take this on, but I'm not given any more time and space or resources to do it, there goes my home life, there goes my private life, there goes my spare time, and who needs this aggravation? So managers, forward-thinking managers, need to be thinking about ways in which they can actually help people reprioritize their workloads, redistribute their workloads, get them resources so they can actually in an entrepreneurial way, have the time and psychic energy to develop this stuff. You know, it's interesting that you say that because everybody I talk to is doing three, sometimes four jobs, what used to be done before. So it is truly maxed out. And just yesterday I was with a young guy who has been very creative in some very productive ways for the company. He gets no acknowledgement for that or not adequate acknowledgement from his perspective. And then this year, he's held accountable for continuing to create new ideas. However, those ideas come expensive his home life, and he's unwilling to do it. So Absolutely. the company is in an absolute catch-22 there. Okay, so we need some more time, which we don't have, and that's a problem. Is there anything else we need to avoid as managers? Well, micromanagement, uh, the, the, the hovering over the uh, incubator or the, the aspiring innovator looking for the results too quickly. And, uh, you know, the, the addiction to ROI, uh, which, which is always hovering like a Goodyear blimp over whoever is trying to do something new and different, and if they don't get results fast enough, then we abandon ship. Some of these projects require uh, incubation time and development time and trial and error and piloting and experimenting and getting feedback and tweaking and adapting and all this stuff. Tom Peters uh, boiled it down to a, a, a one, one phrase, you know, innovation is a messy business. Companies are looking for, for uh, blueprints and maps and, and, and a process. And often I have clients say, well, what do we do? What's the map? Uh, what are the steps? And it's like, you, you can't reduce it down to that level of simplicity. You can't engineer it. This is not Six Sigma, which is about reducing variability. Conversely, this is about increasing variability and entering into a space where there's more ambiguity and unknowns, and that makes people very uncomfortable. So one thing a, a, a manager, a business leader can do is to, is to alert their aspiring innovators that there will be times of uh, despair and existential you know, identity crisis and a feeling of, of hopelessness that always accompanies these kinds of grand, uh, significant efforts, but few of us are really wired to navigate our way through those kind of dark nights of the soul, and certainly most organizations are not wired to support that. 
Okay, so that's a bit of encouragement then along the way for somebody who's trying a new idea and who feels like, okay, it's failing, it's failing, it's failing. A manager who can pick them up and say, it's not the end of the world, keep going, it's worth it, makes a huge difference. Yeah, that that and also uh, so that the manager doesn't have to be uh, Mr. and Miss uh, Wizard and the, you know, big... Big Mama or Big Daddy always there minding the store to to encourage aspiring innovators innovators to create their own little ecosystems, their own think tanks, their own pods of like minded or not necessarily like minded souls because you want some creative dissonance, but people who care about the project enough that that person can jam with, they can get feedback from, they can get some reality checks, they can vent to and keep them on their game. So it shouldn't just default down to the manager to have to be a superhero. That's too much to expect. All right. So this is down to finding resources that are going to both be supporters as well as um, assistants along the way. All right. So now turn to the positive side. What can I do if I'm leading a group of people and I really want to get some more creative ideas out of them? Do brainstorming sessions work? And is there a special way to run them? Brainstorming sessions work if they're done well. Most brainstorming sessions are not done well, which is why brainstorming has gotten a really bad rap. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that we do in Idea Champions is not only run brainstorming sessions, but teach our clients how to run brainstorming sessions. And when in the sort of the front-end needs assessment process, we've sat in their sessions to see what the the current reality of uh, or the art and the science of it, it it's, it's usually pitiful. And what people call brainstorming is not brainstorming at all, which is why when people hear the word brainstorming, a lot of people, you know, frown and, 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 and put out some very negative body language because what they're referring to is not very attractive and doesn't work. So brainstorming, the word is used, but it's misapplied. Brainstorming done well is, is, can be amazing. Brainstorming done poorly uh, is a waste of time. So... Uh, you know, it's got to be a reorientation to what brainstorming really is. But before you brainstorm, uh, a couple of things. There needs at the very beginning, if you want to get down to principles and the DNA of all this stuff, of what I, I see as the DNA of innovation, is for there to be a clear, compelling vision. In other words, what are we going for here? Uh, JFK went to NASA in 1963 and said, gentlemen, you know, I want you to get a man on the moon and bring it back by the end of the decade. He gave them a big, hairy, audacious goal. He had a vision of something, and they said to him, as I understand it, Mr. President, thank you very much. We don't know how to do that. And he said, you'll figure it out. And after they got done mocking this young president who knew nothing about, you know, space uh, travel and, and rocketry, they got very serious about it, and they actually accomplished the goal. But it started with him giving them a big, bold vision. When there's not a big, bold vision that people are aligned with, then the brainstorming has like many holes in the bottom of the bucket, because ultimately people don't know what the heck are we doing here and why. There's not a what's in it for me. There's not even a what's in it for the company or what's in it for our industry. But if a leader or manager can actually rally people around a compelling goal, a compelling vision, that's half the battle. And that's often either assumed or not done well. So that's one. And related to that 
is a clear articulation of the challenge slash problem slash opportunity. A lot of clients that come to us lead with uh, a vague approximation of what they want to accomplish, and they say, we need help in this, we need to communicate better, or whatever they say. Those are placeholder phrases. That's not really the problem. That's not really the challenge. That's not really the root. And it doesn't take long to get to the root and a clear articulation of the problem or the challenge. Once you do, the ideas start flooding and flourishing. If there's no clearly identified challenge, brainstorming sessions are usually futile and end up spinning their wheels, generating lots of ideas in relationship to the wrong or a poorly stated problem. So that, that's one of the insurance policies that we build into all of our work, make sure our clients or any subset of our clients really know what they're working on before they start coming up with ideas. Okay, so I'm intrigued by this one. Can you give me an example, obviously keeping confidentiality appropriate, um, of someone who started with a vague idea and what the question actually became? Well, I, I'm going to get this very personal. Right in my own family, uh, Our 13-year-old son, he's now 21, but when he was 13, um, we noticed that he was spending very little time at home. He was spending most of his time at his friends' houses, and my wife got very concerned, like there was something wrong with our house. Our house wasn't attractive enough to teenage boys. So she put two and two together and came to me and said, we need to build a playroom for Jesse that will have like a foosball table, a ping-pong table, this and that and the other thing. I did the math. I did a little uh, investigation and found out it was going to be like a $60,000 addition to our house. So she was solving a sort of a problem, but she didn't really ask the right question. The way she asked it led her to conclude that the answer was a playroom a new addition to an already uh, 3,000-square-foot house. I asked the question to Jesse a little bit differently, as in, Jesse, what do you need to spend more time in, in our house? And he said, well, I would like to paint my walls red. I would like a flat-screen TV in my room, and I would like two nice uh, speakers. And that's it. That costs $3,500, not $60,000. So it was a matter of reframing the challenge or reframing the question and asking it differently, and then a different set of conclusions or answers came out that led to an elegant solution. So I see this again and again playing out uh, individually and collectively, and a lot of it, Wanda, happens in regard to something you stated earlier on this call, and that is that people are doing three or four jobs. You know, the we're expected to do more with less, the headcount is down, the, the stress is up, the speed of technology is quickened, and people are processing so much stuff in an ADD world that they don't even pause long enough to identify what the challenge is. Then it's like garbage in and garbage out. So it doesn't take a long time to do that, but once you get the right question, and this is what Einstein said, he said, if I had an hour... To solve a problem, I'd spend the first 55 minutes thinking about the problem and the last five minutes solving it. <laughs> but in this kind of, you know, late, late for a very important date world out there and amplified on steroids in many corporations, people don't pause. 
And so there's a lot of sound and fury and too often signifying nothing. Mitch, I love that one. We're going to take a break here, too, in a minute. First off, I love the story about your son and the difference between a $60,000 investment and a $3,500 investment. Boy, have we all made those mistakes. Absolutely. I also love that the part that makes you better at work also makes you better at home. Um, But this notion of stopping to really explore the root cause and what the right problem is, I can't tell you how many times I see clients throw a ton of money at something for no solution at the end of the day, and I constantly contend it's because we never understood what the problem was to begin with. But then I'm getting on my own soapbox. We're going to take a break. With me today is Mitch Ditkoff. Mitch is an innovations consultant and training person who runs a company called Idea Champions and the author of several books. We'll be right back. When we come back, I'm going to focus on the checklist of what is it we do to build places and teams that really generate better ideas. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Biz Locker Radio is a high-energy business show that features compelling conversations and cutting-edge business content that you can use to improve your performance today. Hosted by Kelly Riggs and presented by the Business Locker Room, Biz Locker Radio features dynamic thought leaders from sales, marketing, leadership, business strategy, social media, and more. If you're in business, you need an edge. Develop that edge with Biz Locker Radio. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, and 3 p.m. Central on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information, visit bizlockerradio.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. This is Wanda Wallace. With me today is Mitch Ditkoff. Mitch is an innovations consultant and trainer who works with a lot of companies in helping them understand how to create more innovative workplaces, creative and innovative. So we've been talking about what it takes, what managers can do, where creativity comes from. And now, Mitch, I just want to run through the list. What does it take 
to really create an environment where people, both people and teams, can come up with better ideas? What I try to communicate to my clients uh, is to make this as simple as possible, not to over-engineer it, not to turn it into uh, a complicated Rube Goldberg machine, uh, quote-unquote initiative that gets people running in the opposite direction because they have so many things they're already doing. If you approach them with yet another bunch of stuff, they just clam up. So I give them a simple metaphor. The exact same thing that it takes to create a culture of innovation is the exact same thing that it takes to grow watermelon or lettuce. Gardening is the metaphor. It's about having the right conditions to allow something to grow and then to harvest something. And they nod their heads and they go, I get it. I know, understand gardening. Wow, this could be easier than I thought, which is the first thing you want to do because you want to break that old paradigm of this is going to be difficult. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. When people carrying the thought that a culture of innovation is difficult, who wants to do a difficult thing? They're already doing a lot of difficult things, so you lose them. So first is, this is simple. I didn't say it was easy, but it's simple. And let's reverse engineer it. So what is, what does it take to grow uh, a tomato? Well, first you need to have an appetite. If you want a garden, you have to have a sense that there's something at the end of the line that you're hungry for. Without an appetite, you're not going to roll up your sleeves, you're not going to get dirty, you're not going to deal with the Japanese beetles. So I ask my clients, what can you do to whet the appetite of your workforce or your team so that they want to roll up their sleeves? That's number one. Number two is if you want to grow something, you've got to stake your ground. Is it going to be a 10 by 10 garden? Is it going to be an acre garden? And you've got to prepare the ground. So stake the ground is in what area are we going to innovate? Is it incremental? Is it disruptive? Is it a business model? Is it cost-cutting? Is it the social media? Pick one. Don't pick them all because you're not going to do them all at once. You're going to fry people if you do. And prepare the ground which means make the soil fertile, get rid of the obstacles. What are the obvious obstacles here? It could be bureaucracy. It could be inelegant processes. What, what do you need to remove from the soil? The, the boots, the tires, the tin cans, how can you soften the ground? Then number three, find the seeds. You need something to plant. Well, you need to plant a, a tomato seed or a snap bean seed. Uh, in the realm of innovation, you need an idea to plant. That's the fuzzy front end. So where do you get the ideas? How can you increase the odds of, of bold, breakthrough, interesting ideas showing up? So that would be the third phase. The fourth is what I call fence the garden. It's not enough to plant a lot of new ideas. If you plant a lot of new uh, seedlings in your garden, at least where I live in Ulster County, you're going to have the rabbits and the moles at night come in and chow down as soon as they see the first shoot come up. That also happens in the company. A new idea comes up, and the naysayers come in at night, the nocturnal animals, and they basically destroy that small possibility. So you've got to protect your innovators. You've got to get them away from the prying, micromanaging eyes of the naysaying, idea-killing uh, others. Then you need to be able to, it's not enough to, to have a seed and to plant the seed. You've got to plant the seed. You can't just have it. You can't just fence it. You've got to put it in the ground. What does the planting process look like on your team or your company? In other words, how do people communicate their ideas to others? Is it user-friendly? Is it understandable? Or is it random and chaotic? Sixth step of the nine 
is tend new growth. You plant the new seed, it's not sufficient. You've got to water it, you've got to mulch it, you've got to weed it. Tending new growth in an organization looks like a manager or a leader coaching, mentoring, and giving feedback. It takes a little bit of time, but it, it, it brings that idea to life. It gives it a chance of actually growing into something that has fruit. So that would be the sixth phase of a garden of innovation. And then there's the evaluation stage, which I call winnowing. That's thinning and transplanting. Amateur gardeners throw the whole packet in the ground and walk away, but those seedlings are fighting for the same nutrients. So you've got to be able to choose what to water and what not to. The eighth phase, which is the most mysterious one of them all, is what I call look for unexpected growth. And what that means is you have a garden. Sometimes you go out there in the morning to tend your garden. You see something growing you didn't plant. And you think, uh, first, you know, first blush is, uh, oh, that's a weed. When, in fact, that might be a really exotic fruit growing that the wind brought in or an animal brought in uh, on, on its pelt or its hide, but you didn't expect it. Seventy-five percent of all product breakthroughs uh, are the result of accident and serendipity, not part of a strategic plan. But that takes the mindset of curiosity in the gardener or the aspiring culture of innovation person. And the last phase is what I call celebrate the harvest, which is we call it Thanksgiving. After the season of all that tough work and hard work, that there's some kind of acknowledgement and appreciation and celebration of the yield that is all too often undervalued in the company. We're on to the next project before we acknowledge people for all their efforts and all their results, even if they're small results. So that's kind of the construct of, of how to set the tone for this to work. I'd love that. You know, the metaphor does indeed work. I get the you have to have a need, you have to prepare the conditions for that. You have to find some ideas, some seeds. You have to protect those ideas and seeds. You have to really develop those ideas and seeds. You have to tend to them and evaluate them, thin them out, and then celebrate the successes at the end of the day. Now, you chose a metaphor of gardening, and you didn't choose a metaphor of mechanics. Can innovation be turned into a process? Oh, don't get me started. (laughs) Well, I'm going to give you a very brief anecdote that's going to answer this question, I think, in a memorable way. Uh, a large financial service company of, of, in, in Germany, a client of, of mine, about seven years ago, asked me to work with the senior team to help them get their arms around this big, hairy topic of innovation because they had identified this topic as the key indicator for their future success. Okay, great. So I went to Munich. I spent a bunch of time with the senior leaders. They were making great progress. A month later, I get a phone call from the CEO who tells me that they decided to create a 250-page manual on how to innovate. Three punched, and they were going to give the manual to everybody in the organization, and that would be it. They, in their mind, had engineered the process. They had boiled it down to 250 pages worth of, of steps and processes and models. It was so unwieldy and so not user-friendly and so overly engineered. It, it appealed and appeased the process you know, addiction that we have. But the human side, where people do the work, it was completely uh, useless. And what happened was 
No one read it. Anyone who read it didn't retain it. And a year later, they called me back and said, can you come and help us? We're, we're screwed. You know, it's not working. But the horses were already out of the barn, and it was too late. So process is fine as long as the process is not mind-numbing. It's, it's understandable, and it makes sense. When the process becomes the surrogate for human interaction and for spontaneity and a, and a way of avoiding the, 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 the messiness that needs to be there, but the engineers and the process freaks want to get rid of the messiness, then you've basically, you know, uh, leached out the brilliance in favor of something that looks like law and order, but it doesn't work. So if I'm leading an organization and I want that organization to have more creative ideas and then to use those ideas, implement them, and innovate, that means that I have to be fairly comfortable with some mistakes, that I have to be very comfortable with an unclear process with a lot of ambiguity and a lot of unknowns and a lot of messiness. Is that a fair summary? Yes, that's a fair summary. And i just add one thing to it. Um, divergence and convergence are both needed. The, the right brain, the so-called you know, part of us that's in the imagination, uh, source of imagination, and the left brain, which is the analysis, the, the evaluation, they're both needed. But too often, that left brain analysis, rationalizing, spreadsheet reading creature gets in too fast, too soon. It's not the time. It's like, let's wait a little bit and give this some breathing room. Let's let things develop. But most, too many people are impatient with needing to see results so they don't allow that ambiguity and that unknown to materialize. And so it doesn't. And then they go, well, see, it doesn't work because they've created it that way. All right, so I like that idea that the notion is some space, not unlike the garden where you can't um, make the plant grow any faster than it's ready to grow. You have to just be ready for it to pop up. The same thing is true of ideas, that you have to give them room and not rush to conclusion too quickly. And don't expect that every idea is going to materialize in a breakthrough product or service. Okay, so Mitch, just one minute before we take another break. We've been talking about this in terms of companies or leading teams that I want to be more creative or innovative. What if, as an individual, I want to be more creative? Is it the same process for me as a person? I think it's easier for an individual to, on some, in some realms to do this than in the matrix or the ecosystem of an organization where there's so many constraints. You know, uh, Gordon McKenzie, who wrote uh, Orbiting the Giant Hairball, who was the creative director for Hallmark for many years, has the best metaphor of this that I've ever, ever heard, and his book is brilliant. He said, you know, if you work in a company, uh, consider it like the company is a hairball, and it has the potential to suck you in and, like, bury you alive. You have to be in the right relationship to the hairball. You don't want to be too far away from it because then you don't have access to the good stuff, the resources, the clout, the power, the marketing, the this and the that. But if you get too close to the hairball, it will gobble you up. If you get too far away, you are sort of orbiting Pluto, and you're just, no one's paying attention to you. So you've got to have the right relationship to that, and that is, that's a dance. There's no formula for that, but it's a dance. You want access to the company resources, access to the bandwidth, access to the good stuff, but you don't want to be buried under the weight of all that 
over-engineered bureaucracy. Lovely metaphor and it's a fabulous book. I agree with you. Orbiting the giant hairball. Okay, with me today is Mitch Ditkoff. Mitch is an innovations consultant and trainer for uh, with Idea Champions, the author of several books, and has lots and lots of time spent helping companies think through how to create an environment in which greater ideas come through. And I love this metaphor, Mitch, of the garden. That it both, and the convergence and divergence is maybe the simplest way to say that. I have to have some sparking out with some unknowns. I don't know where it's going, where it's leading, what it might mean. I have to get some obstacles out of the way, and I have to not rush too quickly to conclusion and to answer and to return on investment. But eventually, we do have to get down to thinning things out and deciding Mm -hmm. what is to keep and what needs development and what lets go. We'll be right back. When we come back, I want to talk about storytelling and how does storytelling fit in this whole picture. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Today, our world is faced with complex challenges that present massive potential risks. Conflict, misunderstanding, misalignment of organizations and their leadership, lost productivity, wasted time, and wasted resources resulting from limiting perspectives, distraction, and hardline positions are damaging our today and our future. The monetary cost of such failures is in the billions. Stop wasting time. Make a shift. Engage with host David B. Savage on Breakthrough to Yes with Collaboration, Thursdays at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Mitch Dithkoft, who's an innovations consultant and trainer. And Mitch, I want to talk to you about storytelling. So why Mm -hmm. is storytelling so important and why should we use it? 
A few years ago, I got very interested in trying to deconstruct what I do and why it works. People say, ask me, what do you do? And I explain to them, and they go, oh, mm, I think I get it. So I analyzed really the elements, the variables that go into any idea champion session. And when I did that deconstruction, I came up with a fascinating phenomenon, at least in my mind, and that was storytelling was the most powerful, catalytic, memorable, impactful thing that I do. I do a lot of things, and the confluence of them matters, but if I had to extract one thing that was the biggest catalyst for the innovation mindset, I discovered that it was storytelling, the ability to communicate a principle, a theme, an essence in the construct and the narrative of a story really cuts through people's clutter and lands and is remembered, opens their mind, it opens their heart, it, it moves them to behavior change, it moves them to commitment. So storytelling is the classic construct that works to catalyze innovation. And do you think we use storytelling enough in our corporate environments? No, we don't. We discount storytelling as sort of soft and furry, like you're not working, you're just telling a story. But the the fact is, if you look at any good speaker, any good leader, any good politician, if you deconstruct what they do, you find that they tell stories. And if you look at any of the long-lasting scriptures or holy books, they're basically all storybooks. They're parables. They're allegories. If you look at how we raised our kids, we started with fairy tales. These were stories, the container in which we were able to deliver a memorable value or truth to them. But in most organizations, storytelling is seen as kind of like trivial because people don't get it, but they're doing it, but they don't get it, and they're not doing it consciously. What... I am suggesting to my clients, and it is the, the topic of my uh, forthcoming book, is that we do storytelling purposely with uh, consciousness in mind and the true communication of long-lasting values and principles that will cut through the maze and cut to the chase and open people's minds in a, in a way that turns into behavior change, results, and impact. Fabulous, Mitch. I love the idea. I can just tell you from my own anecdote, when I was teaching MBAs, the only thing the MBAs ever remembered five years later was the stories I told until it finally became apparent to me that the way that you could inspire people in any given talk was to tell them stories. And if that holds the the message together nicely, so much the better because the story is the memorable part of it. Exactly. Mitch, thank you for being with us today. This is fabulous. Thank you so much. The forthcoming book, if you're interested, is Storytelling at Work, How Moments of Truth on the Job Reveal the Real Business of Life. We've been talking with Mitch Ditkoff about creativity and innovation. I think the thing that resonates the most with me today about creating an environment in which we can be more creative is that it takes time, it takes a bit of patience, it takes some divergence in thinking, and not a rush too fast to a conclusion or to an ROI. So again, Mitch is fabulous. Thanks for being with us. Next week on my show, we have Anna Catalona, who's going to be talking to us about her experiences and her advice in networking within the company, raising your profile, finding mentors and sponsors. Join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. 
Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.